Are we ready for this? I think I am. I don't know. <laughs> yes, sir. We are as ready as ready could be. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville. Go Preds. <laughs> I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest. And let me see if I can get this name right. It's Irai Carvalho. And I probably yeah, slaughtered it. That sounds right. <laughs> no, it's almost there. It's Irai. It's more like a... Irai. Okay. Yeah, that's it. I'm so impressed with you, Chuck, right now. <laughs> I, just, I just have to pronounce it in my best Italian, and then it sounds okay. All right. So you're here to talk to us about Mendel. But before we do that, do you want to give us a brief introduction, who you are, where you're from, where you work, all that good stuff? Sure. That sounds good. I am from Brazil. I've been working with web development since maybe the 2005 on the web directly, but before that I worked like maybe three or four years doing flash development and I transitioned to doing web apps and this kind of stuff when uh, social media was exploding uh, 2005 and I've been doing web development since I had a brief excursion into iOS development, but it didn't take long. Like they pulled me back to JavaScript again. I, I worked on a number of large companies. One of them is pretty large here in Brazil. It's called UOL, which is a large portal like AOL was in the US. And recently I worked for five years at Yahoo and I lived for like about three years in the US, uh, in California, actually, near San Francisco. And I'm quite happy that I'm now back in Brazil. Nice. So what is Mendel? So Mendel can be quite hard to explain. So for people who are already familiar with Webpack and uh, Browserify, Rollup, uh, Broccoli, this kind of build tools, uh, Mendel can fulfill the same role. So it's, it's easy to start from there. And Mendel can be a replacement for those tools. It's a JavaScript build tools. The idea is you write a bunch of small files in whatever best modular way you can. Uh, you can follow like whatever pattern you want. And Mendel is one of those tools that will build a very nice bundle for your application when it's ready to go to production. So you can plug in uh, transformations like Babel to do ES6 for all the browsers and, and this kind of stuff. And Mendel has quite a number of different features than those tools that we can go into. 
And the major one, which is uh, the reason I started building this tool when I was working at Yahoo, is that is it scales really well for applications that need to rely on A-B testing to understand better the users and evolve as a web application. So that's interesting. So you kind of compared it to Webpack or Browserify. And with Webpack, yeah, you plug in different pieces like Babel or other things in order to get it to compile specific, you know, languages or dialects of JavaScript, however you want to measure that. So I'm kind of curious, why another one? <laughs> yeah, that's the most expected question, right? So the reason for us, so maybe to understand Mendel better, we need to understand where it comes from. Inside Yahoo, we have like huge applications that are maintained over the years by hundreds of developers. And in search particular, where I did the first version of Mendo, even before it was called Mendo actually, we needed so much user testing, like in numbers, that it created a mess on the code base. So we started researching actually how to do this, what we call variations per se, in a way that it scales better. And there is actually a nice talk from Netflix. They had the exact same problem, but they built a proprietary tool. I believe they call it internally Codex. And we had this very big issue. And when we discovered a way we can tackle maintainability over time, we also discovered none of the tools uh, readily available were scaling really well. We started with Browserify because Webpack was before uh, 2.0 at the time, and it was pretty clunky and didn't scale for us. So Browserify was doing a good job for the beginning of the application. And as we started growing, we realized we were building too much Browserify transformations and a lot of custom plugins for Browserify. We realized it was time to do something from scratch. By this time, I was already on Yahoo Mail, and the recent, recently launched version was built already using Mendel. So there is a, a couple of things we can go into why Mendel is different from Webpack, but the major one is because we organize the application in a way that those experiments and those variations we have on the application uh, live in different folders. We actually built everything from scratch with slightly different uh, internal internals uh, to the building tool, which allowed us to use multi-core. So it's like blazing fast in comparison to all of the tools available. And also brings these variations, which I guess I'll have to explain better, into a first-class citizen on the build tool. Right. So we actually tried. We have teams that try to work with Webpack and Browserify, and there is a lot of shortcomings, even when it's a successful uh, deployment in production. Right. So Mendo is now in the process of getting adopted to other properties at Yahoo. I don't know the details anymore because it's been like three months since I left Yahoo, but I still maintain Mendo and I still use on the new job I am, which is a small startup. I actually have a quick question because you said this is one thing that sets it apart from the other tools was A-B testing. But on the GitHub repo, it says multivariate testing. Can you kind of get into what that is? Because that's actually the, the first time I've ever heard of that term before. So maybe yeah. other people haven't heard of that either. Sure, sure. It makes sense. So multivariate 
tests is kind of a mouthful because it's a, actually a term for people that are like data scientists. So it's often not dealt by front-end developers, right? We actually build the platforms and they do the multivariate testing, which stands for a kind of test that has a lot of minimal variations. So it's easier explained by an example. Let's say you have the classical A-B testing example, which is a shopping cart, and you want to optimize and lose less people over the steps of checkout, right? So you can say one feature is now we'll have like expected shipping costs in the first page instead of the last page. And then you create a variation for that, or you create A-B testing for that. And some companies also call these buckets because you assign users to the different buckets, meaning different UI they are seeing on their screen. And then this is the simple A-B testing. The multivariate test is when you say, now I have different colors and different placement and different font sizes. One variation can have autocomplete, the other have different words or whatever. So the major variation you are trying to experiment is changing the flow, right? So making the first step have expected shipping costs. Now, the other small variations is what the multivariate test is about, is having those very small, tiny modifications. So when you move this into production, meaning all the users will have the same experience again after the testing and after the conclusions, you are not picking the like big experiment to optimize further. You are already picking something that is very fine-tuned. Right. This is what multivariate testing is. But Mendel also supports, which is even more important for Yahoo, is what we call multi-layer. Is when you group people into different layers when you are doing when you are assigning them into one of the experiments, and those layers can have meanings of. For instance, uh, different components on the application can be in different layers, but also means you have way more room to divide your users into smaller buckets. And when the user access your application, it will be assigned to one of those different variations you have, different A-B test buckets per se. And one of the ways you can assign the user to a bucket is to dividing them into different layers. And assigning users into different layers internally means you can have users into more than one layer at a time. So going back to our example, we could have a checkout module that inverts the order of the steps into one layer. But in another layer, you can have experimentation on the product page, which is completely unrelated. So you you can have these this users assigned to different layers. So you, you have more experimentation going on at the same time. Was this any better? Uh, that was helpful. So, so essentially what you're saying, if I can restate it, is a multivariate test is a test where you're testing... Because A-B tests are typically you're testing one variable or one variant at a time, and multivariate test is where you're testing more than one thing at a time. So, you know, you're testing the product page and the checkout process, for example. 
that's actually the multi-layer definition, right? Okay. Uh, when you when you have What's important to understand the difference between multivariate and multi-layer is that multivariate is, is small variations on top of a bigger variation. Oh, okay. Right? And multi-layer is more about having more room for experimentation. So, for instance, when you have users, let's say you have 500,000 users a day like some of Yahoo properties have. And you want to do experimentation that requires like 10% of users. Now you cannot have most of your users not getting the default experience because you don't know yet if this is better or worse for business, right? So in order to experiment further, you divide into feature sets or and you group them in layers. Now you can have a whole lot of 10% user buckets. You can have actually hundreds of 10% user buckets because they can now overlap, right? Mm -hmm. So one given user can be exposed to multiple experiments at the same time. So how does Mendel facilitate this? Does it build multiple versions then for each small variation? Exactly. Now to, to understand this problem, you actually need to understand even without Mendel. So at a given time in large properties like Yahoo and large companies like Google, Netflix, Facebook, all of them have those the same problem, which is each user needs to receive a different JavaScript bundle because it executes differently. Right. One of the, the ways you could do this, the naive way is I'll expose some configuration on my server side. And on the client side, I do a bunch of if, state, if statements based on this bunch of, like in my JavaScript object that describe my configuration. So it says, oh, this user receives this object saying sign up is different or checkout is different for them, right? But when you have hundreds of those, you are actually making your JavaScript so big, it's worthwhile having a build tool that understands how to separate those into different bundles. So each user will receive exactly what they need so you don't impact performance. And when you're trying to do this on the scale for larger companies, and even for small companies that want to do the right thing, which is using a lot of variations to over-optimize even before you go to production, right? For instance, one scenario that I mention when I'm explaining Mendel to other people is that if you have 40 variations at the same time, and this is uh, this can happen quite often because sometimes you need to run the same variation for like a couple of weeks to get meaningful results. So those 40 variations divided into eight layers needs to generate 6,700 different bundles. Right from applications such as Yahoo Mail, which is already like quite big bundles, it's, it's quite impossible to do in, in runtime. So, and even with Browserify or Webpack, we were seeing build times for only like five variations to about an hour or an hour and a half. And this is totally not acceptable because we do continuous integration and continuous development at Yahoo. And every single pull request or internal repos needs to build uh, all those variations in order to run tests and acceptance tests, Selenium tests, what have you. So Mendel was built from scratch to solve this problem. It can build all of those variations 
in a very efficient way because it doesn't actually build a single bundle as output. It actually builds a manifest and is able to just concatenate in execution time, meaning when we are running in production. So I don't think I uh, I made any easier, right? <laughs> not necessarily. I, I think just having a scenario that we can kind of noodle over a little bit and say, oh, okay. So if I have this particular problem, then I want to use Mendel. I mean, is it the multivariate testing or is it something else? So yeah, let's let's go into the other Mendel advantages because like multivariate testing and A-B testing is very understood by the people that actually need them because you are unlikely to actually need this on small applications in medium-sized companies, right? You, you're just going to do your like regular A-B testing and it, will, it won't uh, have all the shortcomings of a large application like Yahoo Mail, right? So the other values, uh, the other things we discovered while developing Mendel, which is better maintainability, better development, uh, developer productivity are actually way more interesting for a larger audience, right? So one thing we do in Mendel, we realized we needed, so Again, it, this comes from A-B testing, but it can be used in so many ways. So we created those variations as different directories. So instead of putting a bunch of statements, as I was saying before, on your code base, you actually create a different folder. Usually we call this folder variations. And inside the folder variations, you create, let's say, my example of a different checkout cart. And I give it an, a meaningful name to be helpful. And let's say shipment cost first is the name of my folder. And then Mendo will actually handle this as a different variation. And you'll be able to have different users run the code on this folder instead of the code on the main variation on the base folder, right? And you don't actually create or recreate all the files or duplicate or treat, nothing like that. You just create one single file with the different stuff you need. Let's say your component is the checkout cart. You add your new estimated cost there. And that's that's the only thing you do. Now the advantages of doing of doing variations this way is manifold. And I'm, I'm seeing that on the small startup I'm working right now, which we have kind of a couple of variations at a time only. Because once an experiment is done, you can easily dispose of it. And this this will, will help your code base go uh, grow in a way that, let me try to explain like this. Organizing your, your files on your different paths, your different code paths, into different folders will make it easier to dispose of unwanted variations and actually also to keep variations that work for a long time. So a scenario that I run quite often on products using Mendo is to have internal variations, such as debugging variation. You can add a bunch of components that can debug backend performance, for instance, and do a timeline view of all the your backend and database latency, and you can put this on a separate folder. Now, Mendo makes sure only, only people that you assign, you want to get this code, will get it. So in production, the users will not be impacted at all in performance, and it's very easy to understand your code base. 
So this is very visual. So maybe I can I can ping you the image I put on the sharing notes. Yeah. And you you can help me. Yeah, we'll put it in the show this. notes so that people can see it. Yeah. So this is from a variation we created on Yahoo. And we were experimenting having a square logo in the left-hand side of the mobile search. Right? And in this example, on the left-hand side, and this is the experience 90 plus percent of the users are getting, right? The users that are getting the baseline, we, the developers can clearly see all the files included as usual per like using, using source maps. And then on the right-hand side, I have a comparison on this image, which have a variation, which is called logo short, which stands for the small square logo on the left, top left of the screenshot. So once you start developing using Mendo, every, every difference you want a subset of users to have will be super easy to debug because you are actually, you're able to put a breakpoint in the specific file that affects this one variation. Okay. And you just do that in code? Yeah. So in this particular component, we use React for that. It was a visual component that had a search box on it, right? So in order to do the, the variation, you just we, we duplicate the file into the folder for the variation, and we do all the modifications we need. There are a couple of command line tools that accompany Mendo that can help you make a, a diff so you can analyze the code. But it's, it's quite similar to Git branches in the sense that you can see the difference from this different kind of code from the baseline code, right? Yeah, I think that's it. Maybe it helps if we talk about the other uh the other point, so we, we covered A-B testing and we covered maintainability. So suppose you have, let, let's talk of a different example. So we understand how code can be more maintainable when you use Mendel. One good example is when you have, let's say, a different team that does something on, a, on your website and they're not coders. So let's say they are your commercial team, like they sell ads and stuff for your blog. Okay. So you have your blog and you have these folks that help you selling more ads on the sidebar. And what they care about your posts is, is a lot of metadata that is not necessarily only what you, you wrote. So you have a bunch of keywords and you have tags on your posts. You might be using WordPress to do that. But when they're actually seeing the site and trying to make sure they are putting the right campaigns into your, your blog or your uh, new site, you can have them see this on the interface. And this is used a lot on uh, medium to large companies where you have a team that is doing something, uh, some kind of introspection on your website, right? So you can create a bunch of UI components that says, okay, this related article below the blog post has these tags, right? The tags are not actually visible for users, but you want other people in your company to be able to see that because it might impact the business, it might help their, their workflow. Another tool, we, we use this particular technique in Yahoo for people that optimize, help understand search results. So we added a bunch of tags like from what 
subsystem on the search results the this particular results came from, right? And all this UI can be on different variations on Mendo. And if you separate your code in actually different files, instead of saying, oh, when I render the related post widget, if the logged user, the logging user is actually someone from marketing, show them the tags, right? And then you write this code in React. It might be a different component or it might be just a couple of if statements really switching classes, right? If you do this on a variation, it will make sure this code is not actually impacting production code. So any bug on this code will never affect production. It will also help you organize the code base better. People maintaining this special UI for internal use can instead uh, be maintaining just this variation folder. And once this subsystem is not needed anymore, or when you're doing refactor on the code base, this is not getting in the way, right? Uh, this is one way Mendo can help uh, organizing code. And actually, we realized once at Yahoo that this helps also us find better patterns on the code base. So for instance, when a component is too big, it's hard to create variations on top of them. Right? It's, it's hard in any situation, with or without Mendo. But with Mendo, because you're doing a separate file, it now makes sense to extract this into a separate class and do variations only over the class. So this helps us actually build a better application code overall. Okay. This episode is sponsored by Angular Remote Comp. Angular Remote Comp is a two-day completely virtual conference. So if travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then come join us. The conference is focused on people who want to keep up with the latest in Angular, such as Angular 4, Angular CLI, backends, other integrations, and we almost always have a Q&A session with the Angular core team. We'll have speakers from all over the Angular community to help you stay current in a Slack room so you can connect with the speakers and attendees in real time. A live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers will be held, plus we'll provide all the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Further good tickets are available for $150 until June 27th. Come check us out at angularremoteconf.com. I think I get it. So how about your ex experiences using Mendel over some of the competitors? Uh, what kind of experiences have you had? Have they been very direct comparisons? Have you seen the payoffs that you're talking about in your experiences? Yeah, I've been using... So first, it was not called Mendo, and we used this in Yahoo Search. We use it over in over a year. And what is actually great about it is once you do a couple of variations, you start thinking about variations. It starts becoming your hammer. And then everything you want to do is about variations. So one very nice production uh, productivity increase we see on developers joining the team is that they are actually very comfortable with creating like new large features in a variation because the variations impose a kind of sandbox for you. You can never mess up the application in production, right? You just write your code in a variation, you make a pull request, Everyone can test this, and you can even test in production. And this is something that actually couples very well together with continuous deployment. So instead of doing a huge lot of tests and manual testing 
and being afraid of changing a new large feature to production, you can just push to production in a variation and just test. You open your browser. Uh, usually we have a query string that you can say what variation you want to get. And you type the variation and you see your code running in production. There you go. No, no harm done. And if it looks good, you can just switch and turn on this code for a couple of users and then for a couple hundred of users and eventually scale to all of your users, right? Another thing we saw that is like very good for productivity is that people are sometimes afraid to create large changes on uh, key components of the application. So for instance, when you do white labeling, so for those who are not familiar, white labeling is when you have a product, like let's say WordPress, and you use WordPress as a CMS for your client. Right. And then instead of having the WordPress logo there, you can change the administration interface to have the logo for your company, actually. And this practice of having sub products under different brands is called white labeling. And it's quite hard to do in any application. But inside Yahoo, we realize that doing this kind of this kind of patterns is actually quite easy and not scary at all because you just create a bunch of different folders all your code is sandboxed to this variation again. So developers like quite a bit. And I've been using on teams that are very large. Like on Yahoo Search, it was about 20 developers. And when I left Yahoo Mail, it was almost 40 developers uh, working on the same code base. That's interesting. So this reminds me of a conversation I had with Neil Ford from ThoughtBot, where we talked about feature flags. And it sounds like this is kind of feature flags on steroids because the variations are essentially pulled off into a separate JavaScript file or something and then, you know, are, are pulled back in and executed, you know, based on your build process and who's logged in. Exactly. That's an awesome example. And actually, we use that feature flags to trigger variations. So one way we use to deploy the variations is actually every single variation that was touching like the search results component uh, on, on Yahoo search, every single one of them we advised as part of uh, the best practices to put under a feature flag. And then everyone on the team, including the extended team, like editors, like product managers, and even up to VPs, knew how to trigger those feature flags. So you could turn on and off for yourself or on and off for a team. And the variations perform like beautifully in this scenario because it helps everyone be on the same page too, right? Like you say feature flag, new footer for the website, right? You say feature flag, new footer from the feature flag name up to the code, everything is using the same ID per se, which is new footer. And you can toggle on and off for like anyone and this empowers like uh, a very smooth continuous deployment or continuous integration scenarios. Mm, interesting. But you actually have like the managers then being able to turn feature flags on and off? Yes, well, we did this for a while. It works quite well. It, it doesn't mean they are actually not afraid of turning on by accident. Uh, so right. they actually sometimes uh, go to someone as, someone's desk and ask if it uh, is looking good. But the way we did is we actually coded a lot of acceptance tests, even for the feature flags. So we we had a high confidence 
nothing would break, right? And we also do instrumentation, right? So you, you, you know numbers are not going bad. Like, you know the conversion rate and other metrics that are used that product managers actually understand way better than most developers are not going bad for this particular feature flag or for this particular bucket before you enable for everyone. That's interesting. One other question I have is I generally like to write tests at various levels and unit tests, I mean, you just kind of hit the file with the variant in it and you can see what it does differently and you can make sure that it does what you expect. But sometimes I like to do like a full run through on the application. So do you have different tests set up, you know, for Selenium tests and whatever, where you just turn the different feature flags on and off or turn the different variants on and off? Yeah, we do. We do have a couple of ways to to work with Mendo and tests. Of course, like Yahoo is also a huge fan of tests. And I myself that uh, not working at Yahoo anymore is still like to do all that you said. So, but it works differently for different kinds of tests. So for unit tests, what we usually do, and that's totally optional, like you can do it both ways. You can write one unit test that tests more than one variation. And to do that, you just require the two different files. And then you run the test. You can even do a loop and say, loop through these three or four files that are doing the same thing on different variations. And then on your unit test, you can do some, some if statements. But what I prefer to do is actually to actually duplicate my unit tests and write the unit, uh, the differences against the different file that I just changed. And it, this is slightly better in a couple of ways. So the first one is you're building a variation so if it's a permanent variation, maybe the, the other approach is better, but most of the variations will stay for a while under a feature flag or under A-B testing experiment and will go away. So when this goes away, there is two ways. So either it's going to production, so every user gets this now on, or it's discarded, right? If it's discarded, you discard the unit test together. So you don't need to go and maintain your unit tests mm -hmm. again and like remove all the if statements or the for loop or whatever. So it's high, it's super productive. And if you merge into production, it's the same. You just override the, the old unit test. You override the old, uh, the, the old class with the new class. And suddenly you are in production. But this is interesting to understand how Mendo is structured files. Mendo is just uses the file system. It's a super easy mental model because everyone understands when you you copy over a folder on top of each uh, of other one and you merge recursively, you just get the new results, right? Like the files that exist on both folders will get overwritten, right? I have a pretty neat schema that we can also put on the show notes if you want. It's the bottom one that is like colorful. This shows how how we mix multiple folders, right? So if you're doing this for production code, like you write, for instance, a new sidebar that has less ads than before because everyone is blocking ads anyways. So let's reduce the number of ads. You put this on a variation and once you're ready to move to production, this will just get copied over the main bucket, right? If you do the same with the test, it's super cool. That's something that actually makes development faster. Is one more thing that makes development faster with Mendo. 
The other thing is, is Selenium tests or what people also call acceptance tests. For those tests, it pretty much works like feature flags and it works like how you would test your code is just by using the query string, right? So if you want to write acceptance tests against your checkout cart, you just have one already, hopefully, or one te- or Selenium test already. And then you, you just add a couple more clauses to your test. And instead of hitting the regular URL, you can hit, for instance, question mark, new shopping cart. And then you write different clicks or different click handlers and different assertions based on the different experience. So one other thing that I'm, I'm kind of curious about now that I have the idea of multivariate testing and A-B testing in, in my build tool is, do I have to build in the tracking or does Mendel give me some way of actually tracking my experiments so that I can say this one or one of these two out of the 10 is a clear winner? Yeah, actually, Mendo is a separate from this kind of this kind of tools. So Mendo, and this actually remembers me of the point I was making before about uh, feature flags. Mendo is not the tool that uh, enable you to do feature flags. Is not the tool that helps you assign users to the different tests, and is also not the tool that measure the tests. Mendo is just the build tools the build tool that enable everything to work uh, together. So when you have your application in production, you have a couple of uh, all of these tools playing together. And let me explain from the user browser point of view how, how this works. So the user goes into your page. The first thing that needs to happen is to assign the user to one of your variations, right? This can be random assignment and it can be uniform assignment and it can follow a bunch of rules. That's where you decide if you need multi-layer or not. And this, one of the tools that is quite popular right now that does that is Plan Out. It's an open source project, project by Facebook. And it only deals with getting random code generated and assigning the user to a particular variation you have or to a particular A-B test you have to run, right? Once you do that, usually you set a cookie, right? After that, Mendel comes into play and gets input from this tool to decide how to bundle your JavaScript. At this point, Mendel, you already run the build part during your continuous deployment or your manual deployment, whatever. And Mendel will actually serve a hashed URL that is capable of outputting the bundle for this particular variation, right? Once your application loads and the user sees the variation, the last step is actually measure that. And people usually use Google Analytics for that or Mixpanel or a bunch of uh, different other tracking tools that will measure what is happening. Like, is the user clicking on checkout or is they leaving checkout? Which one of the variations is better? So in this tool, what the only thing you need to do if you already have Google Analytics in your, in, in your website is just pass a new param saying this is a variation. And then on the Google Analytics interface, you can set up some filters to see the difference between the buckets and generate pretty graphs and this kind of stuff. So Mendo is only the build tool. It gets your code from ES6 or TypeScript 
or even plain JavaScript into all your different files on your code base into this manifest after all the transforms that can be done by Babel and this kind of stuff or Uglyfy for production code and make sure the right user gets the right code. Got it. So if somebody wants to get started with this, I mean, is it just npm install Mendel or is it more yeah, so than that? It is a little bit more involved. It is everything is on npm. We have on the repository we have an examples folder. The easy way to try it out is to take a look at the full example, which includes everything. We also have an example with plan out in Google Analytics. If someone's uh, someone wants to take a look, and the nice thing about Mendo right now is that we are building 3.0. 3.0 just got ready. So we actually need help from the community, like from anyone that wants to jump in. Like we don't have a lot of documentation. We'll be putting some effort, uh, hopefully before the podcast goes goes to air. We already have uh, more helpful examples. But after after installing Mendo, you need to do kind of two step. You need to write your configuration. So basically, you say where is my code. Where do I want the variations? If you don't want variations, Mendo works just fine. It can work as a replacement for a Webpack and other build tools. It's just faster uh, for people that are not interested into variations. And after you have your configuration done, and it's mostly pointing to directories and saying which plugins you need to use, like Babel, for instance, then the second step is to actually change a bit how you serve your HTML. Because now Mendo needs to, to be able to compile this different URL and serve the bundle. So for that, we have Mendo middleware. So usually you will npm install Mendo, which is a common line tool. And you also npm install dash dash save Mendo middleware. So you can actually serve the file from your own server. So that's very different from the other, the regular workflow for Webpack and Browserify that you compile a bundle and then you serve the file from the file system, right? Mm -hmm. But a lot of people already figure out middlewares are a better way. You can find middlewares that serve Browserify bundles and middlewares that, that serve Webpack bundles. So if someone is already used to it, it's just a matter of setting up the same way. And We'll have a very neat guide by the time the episode goes on so everyone can check out. All right. So one other thing that I just wanted to ask then really quickly is that it took me a little bit of time to really kind of get my head around what you were talking about. So if people are still having trouble visualizing what this does, are there some good resources out there for people to go and say, you know what, we are doing some multivariate testing. I'm not quite sure exactly what he was saying it, it did here for whatever reason. Yeah. Are there good resources talk? conference talks, uh, walkthroughs, that kind of thing? Well, I didn't do a lot of talks yet uh, about Mendo. All of the five or six I did was internal to Yahoo. So, But uh, people can check out a very neat talk by Netflix that actually explains better the problem. So why would you need a different build tool if you, are, you want to do a lot of experiments in parallel, either multivariate or multilayer? Right. And now it's already on our notes. We can put on the show notes for people. The other thing I encourage people to actually check out is not only about the A-B testing scenarios for Mendo. Uh, Mendo can be quite cool to use, e even on applications that need very 
little variations. Like if you need a couple of variations, Mendo is already worth checking out. And I'll put up a link to a better explanation on the full example. Right now, I don't have a lot of stuff on Mendo, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of where to go to make sure you're up to date. The answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in JavaScript. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got JavaScript Jabber all day? Well, you can, kind of. We've created a Slack community for JavaScript Jabber. That means that you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at javascriptjabber.com slash slack. Uh, Joe, do you want to start us off with picks? All right. So this last weekend, I went off to Moab, Utah, and visited Arches National Park and had a fantastic time. Arches is a great national park, a bunch of really cool stuff. We actually went hiking in the middle of the night, almost got lost and stuck, and which was a little bit of adventure. So... I, mean, I have two picks out of this. One is Arches National Park. If you haven't been to Arches National Park, you absolutely should go. And two, getting some adventure in your life. And those are my picks. All right, Amy, what are your picks? Awesome. Speaking of adventure. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been like obsessed with the Nashville Predators. So last night they made it to the Stanley Cup playoffs. So uh, that's going to be my non-programming pick is the Nashville Predators. Yeah, especially with my figure skating background. I'm all about this. Loving it. And my programming pick, I have so many, but I'm going to stick to this one since I saw it today as I was like before I start my day, kind of scan Hacker News and stuff. But this looks like a pretty good thread. It's how to become productive in a new project as a senior developer. I think you know, they could probably take off the senior developer part. I think there's good insight in here for anybody. So this is like a popular question that uh, I get asked too. So uh, hopefully people will find this beneficial and that's it for me. All right. We actually did a Ruby Rogues episode on that. So, and, and it was, we left off the senior. It was just, <laughs> anyway, I've got a couple of picks here as well. One is, is that I think I mentioned on a few of the shows that I was setting up a Slack channel for JavaScript Jabber. And I have everything set up, but apparently I didn't set up the, the page where you can sign up. So if you go to JavaScript Jabber slash Slack, I'm going to invite all of our hosts, past hosts, and past guests to be in there. And then if you want to join in, you're welcome to, and we'll just have awesome discussions on Slack about JavaScript. One other thing I'm going to pick is I just read a series of books. It's a trilogy, and I don't remember what the name of the trilogy is, but the titles of the books are... The Wretched of Muirwood, The Blight of Muirwood, and The Scourge of Muirwood. And they were pretty good. Kind of a different, it was kind of a different flavor fantasy system from your sort of epic fantasy. And the author, I, I listened to it on Audible and he, he had some notes at the end that basically said that he's kind of a, a junkie on world religions. So he, he borrowed a lot of stuff from various religions and... Yeah, use them in the book. So it was it was kind of fun and interesting to listen to and, you know, see some of the things that, oh, you know, maybe he pulled that from something that's like my faith and then other, you know, other parts of it where it's like, gee, I wonder where he got that from. So anyway, kind of a fun story and I'll, I'll let you read it. I won't spoil any any of it. But yeah, those are my picks. Irai, what are you? Or, 
I'm trying to say it right, and I know I'm messing it up. Anyway, what do you have some picks for us? Sure, sure. I do have some picks, but you spoiled most of it in the past episodes because you pick Brandon Sanderson so much. He's my favorite book author, but I'm going to pick him again because it's unavoidable. I like Miss Bourne series, The Better. And I would also like to pick a book, Creativity Inc. It's by the one of the founders of Pixar. It's such an amazing book. It has a lot of insights on pieces of Pixar we don't hear often when they are like close to failure on the beginning. And when Steve Jobs joined, there is a lot of nice insights. It was a great book to read. And I'll pick also Overcast. I don't know if anyone already picked this on past episodes. I missed a couple or maybe a handful in the past year. So Overcast is the app that I use to listen to uh, podcasts, and it has a smart speed. So this whole episode feels like slow motion for me because your voices are not speed up like I'm used to. And lastly, I'll pick Sao Paulo Central Area. I just moved back to Sao Paulo, and it's such an amazing place. I miss this place so much. I'll pick specifically the Higienopolis neighborhood. I hope uh, some people interested into visiting Sao Paulo uh, that listen to this pay a visit, and and that's it. Awesome. Now, if people want to follow you on Twitter or ask you questions about Mendel, where should they go? So we have a Slack channel for Mendo. It is on the readme uh, on the website and uh, you can check out on the repo itself. And my Twitter is Irae, just my first name. It's spelled I-R-A-E. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thanks for coming and sharing with us and we'll catch everyone next week. Bye. Toodles. Bye-bye. <laughs> thanks for having me. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.